everybody, it's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where usually we review animals, but this one's a little different. Yeah. This is the mailbag episode, which I'm calling Field Notes. I like that. <laughs> Notes that you guys send us from the field of your life. And perhaps less relevant for this episode, but we are still not zoological experts. <laughs> I had to do a little bit of digging for something in here where someone asked me a question. Okay. And I had to do some digging for answers. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, this is probably not a great episode to start with because we are not going to be doing our typical reviewing of animals this week. We are opening our mailbag. We called for submissions, and a lot of people that listened to the show sent in some really awesome stuff, great stories from animal encounters they've had in their own lives or just inspiration they've taken from the show and how that has manifested. And just we got some really cool stuff. You guys that listen to the show are fascinating people, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm always happy to hear from you so i wanted to share some of that today and we're just hanging out it's a good time sounds good low stakes low pressure good vibes episode very good you know before we get started i wanted to share an interesting conversation that i had with a friend a couple days ago because it throws all the way back to something we talked about in like one of our very very first episodes My friend is very into animation. He does his own animation. We talk a lot about animation. Uh, We're always exchanging like recommendations for good like animated shows and things to watch. And, And we talk a lot about interesting techniques and cool examples of things that we see in animation. And he was telling me about a technique that he just saw in this anime intro from the 80s. The title of the anime was Space Cobra from 1982. But basically, it involved these planets that are like shifting past each other. And the animation is done in such a way where it really shows a lot of depth by the speed at which the planets are moving. Mm -hmm. Because there's three planets in a line and they're moving at three different speeds that indicate to you like how far away they are. And we were talking about that technique that you see in animation a lot. Like if you think about when a character is, for example, looking out the window of a car, things that are closer to the car are moving by very quickly. Right. Whereas things that are really, really far away might stay there for a while. So in animation, you do this with like clear plastic sheets where you paint the different layers on different sheets and then move the sheets at different speeds to show that those different layers are moving at different speeds, and that tells the viewer how far away they are. And this reminded me of the way that praying mantises... Do you remember this from a praying mantis episode forever ago? Only a little bit. So the word for it is apparently the same. It's called parallax. And when you use this in animation, it's called a parallax effect. When we talked about it for the praying mantis, it was called like motion parallax, I think, where a praying mantis, because they don't have binocular vision like we do, Mm -hmm. so they can't perceive depth the same way. When you see a mantis swaying back and forth, they do that sort of like funky little dance where they're like bopping back and forth. It's so that they can see how much things move when they move their body from side to side. So you can see how far away it is. Okay. Yeah. So apparently the same way that like animators convey depth to a viewer is the same way that praying mantises can see depth with their 
special eyes. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Now, I, I didn't see this video you're talking about. When you say the planets are moving, is mm-hmm. the observer stationary? And yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it's one stationary observer, like camera angle. Oh, okay. And planets are sort of like aligning. They're like forming into a line, but at different speeds to show oh, okay. like the ones that are moving more slowly are farther away. It was a cool shot. Oh, okay. I thought it was neat. Yeah. Since, since we're just sharing stuff today. <laughs> Put your own letter in the mailbag. That was just a cool thing. I thought people like to hear about it. It is. It is very cool. <laughs> so digging into our mailbag, this is how this is going to go. We're going to read things in chronological order in which they were received. So if you were an early sender, you will be rewarded by <laughs> your message being read first. Our first one, Jordan Brown writes, first off, I wanted to thank you and Christian. This is addressed to Ellen. She's the (laughs) one with the email address. Yeah, that's true. These were all sent (laughs) to me personally. (laughs) Wanted to thank you and Christian for all the hard work you put into the podcast. I truly look forward to each new episode, and I've had the pleasure of hearing a few of my suggested animals make it on the show. That's a contributor. Thank you. you. Regular contributor. (laughs) Anyways, here's my story. In 2010, I went to a sailing camp in the Florida Keys. Every day, we would go out sailing and snorkeling on different reefs. One day, we were snorkeling at Donut Reef, if my memory serves me correctly, and I strayed off from the rest of the group. I was in my own little world enjoying the corals and the fish. I had to surface to defog my goggles, but when I went back underwater, I was surprised to find a gang of seven or so barracudas surrounding me in a semicircle. Uh Uh-uh. No. (laughs) Bad. Bad time. I started to swim away, but they slowly and ominously (laughs) followed me the entire time, all the while making hissing and clicking noises. Up until then, I had no idea that fish could make audible sounds but I can still hear them in my head as if it happened yesterday. That's terrifying. That's such like predator (laughs) (laughs) horror movie stuff. You think the clicking was in the rhythm of... (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) I thought we were going to get out of this without that. I tried to keep my cool, but they followed me all the way back to the boat, and I was so rattled that I wouldn't get back in the water for the rest of the day. I was only 13 at the time, so I didn't appreciate how cool the encounter was. Later on, I did some research about their behavior and found out that they were probably attracted to my bright bathing suit and shiny rings. When they saw it was a prey item too big for them to eat, they made those sounds to tell other barracuda in the area, hey, let's keep an eye on this big thing I can't take down on my own. Mm. Still pretty freaky to be on the receiving end of that, but it was a cool experience all the same. Now every time I go snorkeling, I'm more conscious of the barracuda gangs I might be intruding on. Thanks again for what you do. Jordan Brown. I don't love the idea of barracudas joining forces. They're sort of (laughs) like a rallying call where they can recruit. (laughs) I don't love that. I mean, this was also post-Finding Nemo, famous barracuda opening. Yeah, that was a real uh, barracuda hit piece, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So if you just come from seeing Finding Nemo, you see one of these out in the wild, you're like, I'm about to be a tragic backstory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's a really cool experience. Talking about uh, fish making sounds, scuba mm. divers and snorkelers out in the Gulf uh, will hear the sounds of Goliath grouper. Oh. Have you heard that sound? No, I don't think so. I haven't heard it myself, but I've been out on the boat with people who were um, scuba diving, and they said that if you get close to a school of Goliath grouper, which are notably like incredibly large fish, mm-hmm. they're just massive fish, um, they make loud booming sounds by slamming their teeth together oh 
Yeah, okay. it's it's terrifying. Also, piranhas make sounds. They make little like weird sort of barking sounds. I was imagining the sound little wind up teeth make. Oh, <laughs> little chattering sound. <laughs> Yeah, I think I would be absolutely mortified if I was swimming and I heard any any sounds coming from below you when you're in the ocean. Doesn't feel good. The game Subnautica did this well. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Especially in VR. Oh, no. I would never. I would not do that. Yeah. That is a cool story, though. I could definitely see why you were too spooked to get back in the water. Yeah. Because I also would have been. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for the story, Jordan. That's really cool. Our next field note comes from Mercy Anderson, who says, Hi, a while back, I requested the Kowati. Love it. That was a great episode. Thank you for your request. You should have seen the face my wife made when I played that episode for her. We listen to podcasts every night to wind down and fall asleep, and that episode is in heavy rotation. Later, I found out that my in-laws, who live in Belize, see Kawadis all the time. Hmm. Now, to find an excuse to go visit and stare at the weird little raccoon lookalikes from a respectful distance. Thanks for all of the research and hard work y'all put into making the show. You've given me an endless list of fun facts to share at work and a fun venue to bond with my family best mercy anderson oh thank you mercy yeah i would definitely if i had someone in my family that was like oh yeah kawadis are just around <laughs> i would instantly be like y'all got a spare room because right. here i come want to come see them i wonder if they have struggle with some of the things we talked about in the kawadi episode about kawadis being like notoriously difficult to keep out of things like trash mm. or bird food because <laughs> they're like the same problem that people here have with squirrels, but kawadis are just much bigger and I think more agile, probably. Stronger. Stronger. Maybe smarter? Possibly? <laughs> they have more like manual dexterity, so I could definitely see that being an issue. Yeah. I also like the idea of like having something to like bond with family members or at least like a conversation starter or something to like, you know, I feel like every time I talk to my family back in Florida, we talk about like what the wildlife is up to. How are the hummingbirds in your backyard? You know, mm -hmm. like what are those squirrels up to? It's like a nice thing to be able to talk to. Like you can really bond with people over over the wildlife in your area and your nature. So yeah, that's great. I love that. Thank you, Mercy. Our next one comes from Dustin Haldewan. This is Dustin from Alberta, Canada, with a crazy animal story. So while getting keys at a building near the university for a construction job, I'm walking to the door and out of nowhere, eight feet away from me, a pigeon smashes into the window and lands in the box of a truck parked nearby. It gets up and seems to have lived. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you have a zombie pigeon on your hands. I like where this is going. <laughs> I like, it seems to have lived. <laughs> Five seconds later, a hawk swoops out of nowhere and just completely <laughs> messing up this pigeon in the truck box with feathers going everywhere. As expected, the hawk won. I had to walk by and hope it wasn't protective of its kill. Thankfully, I was okay, but the fact this all happened eight feet away from me, I was paralyzed with shock. Did a bit of research and found it was a rough-legged hawk. Love the podcast and love telling people about crazy animals like the immortal jellyfish, axolotl, Frankenstein science, and most recently, the devil's whole pupfish. Everybody loves hearing crazy animal facts. This seems like a fully what you would see in like a nature documentary. You get to see like the cheetah chasing down the gazelle, but you get a hawk just absolutely obliterating this pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Front row seats. It's tragic, really. It's the circle of life. 
There's beauty in that. <laughs> I've survived my run-in with human society. Uh-oh. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if the hawk was just like, oh, sweet. The window took out the first health bar of the pigeon for me. <laughs> Weakened it for me. Quick, while well, it's distracted by that building. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like how crows wait on power lines for cars to like run over mm. like food bags and stuff so that it spills the contents everywhere. And then I you've see. got like an easy meal. Hawks are like, yeah, I love these car things. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking out that pigeon for me. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a cool story. Thank you, Dustin. If that happened in front of me, I would be telling everybody about it for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. That would be my lead. <laughs> So this next one, I'm going to give a quick little heads up, a little content warning, because this involves descriptions of scientific experiments that some listeners may find a little unsettling. Um, So if you don't want to hear that, fast forward a few minutes. The scientific experiments we're about to discuss involve worms and cannibalism. So if you don't want to hear about it, the timestamp to skip to is 23 minutes and 21 seconds. This comes to us from the spooky spouses, who I know to be Jordan and Lindsay Reed, longtime friends. Lindsay makes jewelry and sent me that beautiful clay snake necklace that I have. Mm-hmm. That's like a little like black disc with a gold snake in yeah, front of it. Yeah. Yes, Lindsay made that. And Jordan is a very talented saxophone player oh. and uh, did this really, really cute little duet with a coquille. It's a video of a Koki doing its little like And he's like playing the saxophone along with it It is so cute Let's see if I can find it Um, So I love them very much And they write Ellen and the entire crew Which is Christian (laughs) The crew of two (laughs) (laughs) Just the crew of us (laughs) Hello, sending our best from Ohio. Two things. Number one, bobcat numbers have been growing in Ohio and we're stoked. We've recently seen a few of them wandering around Appalachia too. Mm. So bobcats on the rise. Great news. Stay tuned. Have an upcoming episode on bobcats. That's a, a fun little teaser for the future. Number two. We heard a story recently that went something like this. Scientists taught a cockroach or cockroaches. To get through a maze, they took the maze cockroaches, blended up their bodies, their Mm. entire bodies, fed it to new cockroaches, and then they immediately knew how to get through the same maze. A, is this real? So, I... I'm out of the letter now. (laughs) This is me talking. This is my response. I can't find any study that matches this exact description, but I did find something that is similar enough that I think it's where this story came from. Mm -hmm. So I think that maybe wherever they heard this version of the story was maybe like misremembered and some details just kind of maybe faded with the person's memory or something. I think I found the origin of this story, though. This information I found from the American Psychological Association's magazine, Monitor on Psychology. The article was called The Memory Transfer Episode by Larry Stern in June of 2010. That's where I got the information from. I'm going to use my own words to describe what I found. So in 1966, a scientist named James McConnell conducted an experiment with not cockroaches, but 
planarians, which are flatworms. You remember the little um, hammer-headed flatworm we found in our house that one time? Yeah. That's a planarian. Okay. So they're very, like, primitive beings known for, you know, you slice them in half and they can, like, grow. Both halves of the body will regenerate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you want to learn more about planarians, go back to episode 59. Uh, we did a whole episode on them with Dr. One Pagan, who I actually found cited in some of the papers I was reading for this. Nice. Yeah. So in this experiment, he conditioned the worms not to navigate through a maze, but to contract when exposed to a bright light. So he would like shine a bright light on them, get them to like flinch and contract in response to it. Then he did what they described. He blended them up and then fed them to different worms who had not been conditioned Hmm. and then tested the new worms to see if they also contracted when exposed to the bright light without being taught, just being fed the worms that had been taught. Hmm. This was after... (laughs) A series of failed experiments in which uh, he attempted other ways of incorporating the conditioned worms into the body of what are called naive worms, worms that had not been given any sort of behavioral conditioning. They didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, hadn't been taught anything. He tried grafting the old worm's head onto the body of the naive worm. Mm -hmm. And that failed because the heads wouldn't stay on. And then he had tried injecting the blended up old worms into the new worms, which failed because the needles were too big and the worms kept exploding. (laughs) 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 It just blows up and shines a light. It's not, it's not doing anything. (laughs) Come on, do something. Poking it. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. So the cannibalism experiment did actually work in the sense that the new worms exhibited the conditioned response to the light. But a few years later, researchers at the University of Victoria published a follow-up article re-examining the results and suggested that they could have been better explained by increased tissue sensitivity in the naive worms Hmm. rather than actual memory transfer so it could have been that the naive worms consumed the conditioned worms and Mm. then something about that increased the sensitivity of the tissues in their body to the light Mm. and then maybe they were just having a natural response to the light not necessarily something they would have been conditioned to do did you come across the i guess starting thought that kicked all of this experimentation off like what why did they think to try this I think that this was during a time when, like, scientists were really interested in the concept of, they were, like, trying to figure out what memory is and how memory even is stored in the brain. Mm -hmm. Because there was a lot of, like, a lot of people thought that it was, like, pathways through the brain that electrical signals travel down. And then a lot of people thought it was stored in RNA. And then, like, there was just a lot of experimentation at that time around how memory is stored in the body Hmm. and this was an attempt at trying to like inducing a memory transfer i'm curious as to why they chose the planarians is it because of their being like what was the word you used they're a very common like scientific experiment subject they're like a model species that people use for a lot of stuff Um, i'm trying to remember the phrase you used a couple minutes ago 
to describe them as being um, simple. Or oh, like primitive. Primitive. Yeah. They have a pretty simple, like, nervous system. Okay. But they can also, you know, they're regenerative, I was, right? Well, so I was going like, to say, the, the regenerative part might make this more difficult. Because yeah. maybe that plays a, a hand into all this. Well, yeah, that kind of, <laughs> like made a lot of researchers be like, well, we don't know that memory transfer is what's going on, right? right? Like, we don't know what they're regrowing. And yeah, so basically, this was like an early experiment in memory transfer. Hmm. It wasn't with cockroaches, and it wasn't through a maze. But the general concept is the same that they like fed an animal to another member of its own species. And then it seemed to like have a behavioral transfer to the new one. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what this question was getting at interesting <laughs> so is it is the experiment real as described in the letter no but like the background of it is legit i suppose hmm. um and by the way for those curious who want to learn more about it the original study was called memory transfer via cannibalism in planaria and that was by jay mcconnell published in the journal of neuropsychiatry in 1962 and then the re-explanation that i mentioned was called memory transfer in planarians an artifact of the experimental variables and that was by dr walker in physiological psychology in 1966 hmm you know, science in the 60s was. <laughs> there was a lot happening. <laughs> Listen, if it wasn't involved in going to the moon. <laughs> well, no, in psychology, they were up to stuff in the 60s. In the 60s, it was a, the wild, wild west in psychology. <laughs> I guess I was getting at it. it was like, if it wasn't with the moon, there was, you know, everyone was distracted with that. So right. Was like, quick, 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 do the weird things. <laughs> While nobody's looking. <laughs> Let's do worm cannibalism. Uh, and then the second part of that question was, would you drink blended up animals to learn their secrets? I'm trying to think of where I already do that. <laughs> I, eggs are, scrambled eggs are close. Chicken nuggets. Yeah. We basically already do that. <laughs> it's just an extra little thing. <laughs> Although those memories probably wouldn't be great. No, yeah, that's true. Although maybe there's some sort of like ability. We just last night watched everything everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm, So maybe mm -hmm. there's some sort of like powers and skills we can gain by accessing the memories of the chickens. Visual memory of a chicken would be hard for us to comprehend too. Yeah. With the the blue. Oh, with their their eyes facing in weird ways that we're not used to. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of a skill that a chicken would have that would surpass my own. What? is the chicken aspect ratio. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I feel like, I feel like I could whoop a chicken, you know, like Mm. I don't feel like there's anything, not to like flex on a chicken, Uh but I don't feel like there's anything a chicken can do better than me. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Can a chicken parallel park? Because if not, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Scratch dirt. Scratch dirt, yeah, they got that on lock. Yeah, mm-hmm. they really, really uh, got that one cornered. Head stabilization. Oh, that's true. Yeah, actually, <laughs> now that you say that, that's probably it. <laughs> it can't be flight. I mean, they're closer than I am. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, that's that one. Very good. Your turn. Our next one comes from Mary, who writes, Hi, guys. I just wanted to drop in one of my favorite stories from my zookeeper days. Despite how pretty and calm zebras look, they are absolutely bad-tempered and not to be trusted when in the pasture enclosures. I found this out as a seasonal keeper when I was asked to help put the zebra and ostrich in their overnight enclosure. 
I was warned before going in that the herd matriarch doesn't like anyone and I needed to keep an eye on her. I like that don't trust that zebra. <laughs> <laughs> that zebra's up to something. <laughs> At the start, things were going well. I led the five ostrich girls in from the open exhibit to the overnight pen. And girls' the s- night. <laughs> and the second zebra followed with the zebras. Wait, nope. The second keeper. And the followed. second keeper followed with the zebras. I was almost to the keeper's exit door when I heard the head keeper shout, Mary, get behind Yellow. For context, our ostriches have human names, but one has the nickname Yellow because she has an utter fascination of all things yellow in color. You can't wear anything yellow by her because she will peck at it. It isn't painful, but it is rather annoying to be going about your work and have her pecking you the whole time. On this day, though, I was very glad for that tendency because Yellow was following me and pecking at my yellow work gloves in my back pocket. When I heard... Mary, get behind Yellow. I turned to see the zebra matriarch walking towards me with ears flat back, only about 20 feet away. That is horse for absolutely not. (laughs) That is horse for don't like that thing. Mm -hmm. She was coming for me and I did not want to be kicked. I quickly stepped to the left to put Yellow in between me and the angry zebra and tried to back away towards the keeper door. Yellow, confused by the sudden disappearance of my work gloves, turned around and saw the zebra by this point ten feet away. (laughs) Yellow then proceeded to throw up her wings and squawk in surprise at the zebra, who thankfully was equally startled and turned away to join the rest of her herd. So that day I learned that when under threat from a zebra attack, get behind an ostrich. (laughs) Useful life advice that I think everybody can uh, come away from. Yes. This probably won't ever work again, but I'm glad it did that day. Thanks for the podcast that lets me learn new things about my favorite animals and relive my zookeeper days. Mary. I love that. Yes. Um, It had me realize something. I often associate zebras and ostriches together because of their physical proximity to each other at our hometown Mm -hmm. zoo. Right. Yeah. Are they actually in the same biomes? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You'd see them around, I would suppose, right? Probably. I I like imagining that there's like drama between the animals in the zoo enclosure mm-hmm. that they have like beef with each other <laughs> i would love to see that sort of like red string chart of, of all the relationships between the different animals <laughs> <laughs> i do also enjoy like using another giant animal as like a meat shield almost between you and the zebra <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i can't defeat the zebra but she can <laughs> i mean she was banking on the the whole thing to be diffused but another outcome could have been having to deal with an outtired zebra <laughs> that's true yeah you let him once again just like the hawk and the pigeon <laughs> you let them tank a little bit of that damage for uh-huh. you <laughs> round two <laughs> They got two health bars. Very good. I love that. What a cool story. Thank you, Mary. Our next field note comes from Ollie. Ollie says, Hi, Ellen and Christian. My name is Ollie, and I am a secondary school science teacher from the UK. A secondary school? Is that like high school? That's high school, right? I don't know, but it would describe one of those like segments of what we would call grades. Right. Yeah. I think it's high school. So like teenagers, I would mm-hmm, imagine. Mm-hmm. 
I'm known for putting a fun science fact of the week on the door to my classroom, and since I started listening to your podcast over a year ago, it has been wonderful inspiration for my door. The students and staff love learning about the animal facts each week with some personal highlights being the armor of the scaly foot snail, the anemone-waving pom-pom crab, and density of sea otter fur. I always put a picture of the animals, too, so students get to see and discuss the plethora of creatures they share the planet with. Seeing young people rush to my door to learn the new fact is always a highlight of my week. Thank you for facilitating this and being wonderful science communicators. Thank you so much for the podcast. I will continue listening to it on my drive to work, recommending it to my students and using it to update my door. Kindest regards, Ollie. This is great. I really appreciate when teachers like do fun, like interactive elements with their door, like the door to their classroom, right? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I have a lot of memories of like getting to know teachers that I didn't have for any classes just because they had like cool decorative elements on their door, right? So like even if students never have Ollie for a teacher, they might have a conversation with Ollie about what's on the door, right? right? So like that could be a really cool chance to connect with students that you otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to. Yeah. And then everybody gets like ammunition for their next like dinner party. <laughs> That's always fun to bring back. Yeah. Perfect for, sure. for the holidays when you sometimes you need something to pick up a lull in conversation. Mm-hmm. Boom. You mm-hmm. drop a fact about pom pom crabs. Love that. It's sure to liven things up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ollie. You sound like a really cool teacher. I would have loved having a teacher like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the Maximum Fun Network, and then we'll be right back with more field notes. The following are real reenactments of pretend emergency calls. 911. My husband! It's my husband! Calm down, please. What about your husband? He, he loads the dishwasher wrong. Please help! Please help me! Where are you now, ma'am? At the kitchen table. I was with my dad. He mispronounces words intentionally. There are plenty of podcasts on the hunt for justice, but only one podcast has the courage to take on the silly crimes. Judge John Hodgman, the only true crime podcast that won't leave you feeling sad and bad and scared for once. Only on MaximumFun.org. Hi, uh, this is Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cation, and we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show on Max Fun, and it's very exciting, because what do we talk about? Comedy. Stand-up comedy. We both do stand-up comedy and have since the dawn of Christ. Well, Jackie. Is that offensive? It is offensive to me, because you've aged me. <laughs> uh, we started in the late 80s, and we're still here. You can't kill us. So go to The Jackie and Lori Show on Max Fun and listen to that. Jackie and Lori Show. New episodes Monday, only on MaximumFun.org. The next one comes from Sophie Benison. Good morning, (laughs) Ellen Weatherford. There were that many O's in there. There was a lot of O's, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for committing to reading it as written. (laughs) I picked up a new hobby for needle felting, which inspired me to listen to an episode while creating models of whatever animals you were talking about in that episode. For example, I was listening to your latest podcast episode about belted kingfishers while I made this. Behold, the felted kingfisher. (laughs) Don't try to mistake it for a blue jay. Looking forward to listening to future episodes and creating new models. Cheers, Sophie Benison. She, her. I included a link to the photo. Oh, this is cute. 
like I, you know, we love a good pun here uh-huh. on Just the Zoo of Us. It doesn't get much better than a felted kingfisher. <laughs> oh, I totally missed that. Yes, you said it with your mouth. <laughs> you said it out loud. You totally missed it. It's a belted kingfisher. That was I the see. last episode that we did that I did with guest Alex Troutman. We talked about belted kingfishers. I see. Sophie see, made it felted. See, I was at a disadvantage on that one. That's true. Yeah, you didn't have it on the brain already. <laughs> you should try listening to this podcast. <laughs> I have this podcast about animals. You would love it, actually. You should check it out. <laughs> and it was really cute. Sophie is a longtime listener um, and is always always has delightful things to say on like instagram and oh that's so nice i appreciate that sophie i really loved seeing your felted kingfisher this is really great i hope to see more work from you our next field note comes from amanda amanda says hello there ellen and christian wanted to share two funny experiences that i had with two different animals for reference i live in michigan in the united states story one A quick summary for my job i have to walk along overhead power lines to inspect them Oh my gosh. Hmm. Terrifying. Wow. I'm so thankful for you that you are willing to do that because I would panic and die. Taking me to many different places. There was one time I was working in a pretty urban area with lots of businesses and busy roads and such, but there was the teeniest patch of woods right next to a Taco Bell where the power lines went through, so I had to follow them. Now, going through woods is a pretty common occurrence at my job, and running into wildlife is also fairly common. I've been trained not to interact or touch the animals, only to ignore or potentially scare them away, whichever was the safest option. More often than not, the animals will just flee rather than want to interact with me, but not this one time. Hmm. So in the tiniest woodlot in the world, I see two white-tailed deer when I'm a decent way into it. No worries, I simply back up a bit to give them room not to run directly into traffic. But they don't run the other way like I was expecting. They both take some steps toward me. So I do the reasonable thing and take more steps back, but they keep on stepping towards me. (laughs) Aren't these guys supposed to be prey animals and fear me? Well, I guess they didn't get the memo. They did end up pushing me back into the Taco Bell parking lot where they finally stopped pursuing me in the slowest chase possible. (laughs) They instead decided to just stare at me unblinking. Oh, Uh -oh. (laughs) uh-oh. They might have been expecting food, but I was not about to go into the Taco Bell and get them a burrito. I was about to say, someone's (laughs) been feeding these deer Crunchwrap Supremes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're looking at them like you're like their DoorDash driver or something i'm like okay where is it my biggest takeaway from this is to try not to interact with wildlife if you can help it these deer were obviously very used to humans which is not an ideal situation the deer themselves could get hurt or potentially injure other people who might not have been as cautious as me enjoy wildlife from afar yes very actionable advice just like getting behind an ostrich when attacked by a zebra. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I do love just getting like absolutely shaken down by a couple of deer. You're, you were getting mugged, I think. <laughs> I think you got mugged by deer. I think this was like an attempted mugging, but you didn't have any crunch wraps. So. No cinnamon twists, no nothing. I bet deer would probably love a cinnamon twist. <laughs> I would. Uh, Story number two. This happened after my very first day of working for a state park. 
For context, my uniform was regular shorts, a t-shirt with a Department of Natural Resources logo, as well as a baseball cap with the same logo. This took place at the beginning of June, where many species of turtles in Michigan are moving around a lot to find bodies of water to lay their eggs. As someone who owns a car, this means to keep a close eye on the road for any animals, but especially turtles. And wouldn't you know it, there was a painted turtle crossing the road when heading home from my new job. Now, this was a dirt road with very little traffic, so I put on my hazards on my car to make sure the little guy got across safely. After about a minute, a car had slowed down and rolled down their window for some conversation. Do you want to do a voice in this conversation? Oh. I'm tagging you in. And cue Christian. What do you have there? This person asked me. Just helping this little turtle cross the road. I think it's looking for another body of water to get to, I say, trying to be educational as I have my state worker uniform still on. Hmm. Can I keep it? <laughs> you put a little bit of your own personal inflection in there, I think. <laughs> now, at this point, I'm thinking, surely you can't be serious. Surely my uniform should clue you into the answer to that question. No, I'm afraid not. This is a wild animal. Oh, you work for the DNR, huh? Oh, boy. I wonder what could have given that away. Yes. Yes, I do. Gotcha. Well, have a nice day. <laughs> and then they drove off. Thank you, Christian. That was a riveting performance. I did it. Thank you. <laughs> this is my... Gen- okay, back into Amanda's voice. This is my general PSA. Please don't take any wild animal you find on the ground and bring them home as a pet. I didn't think I would have had to tell a random person on the side of the road not to take a random painted turtle home with them, but I definitely had to do that. I was just a minimum wage worker, so I held very little power, but I'm glad I at least looked like an authority figure with my uniform. I should also add to the turtle story, there are some states that allow you to get a license to remove specific species of turtles from the wild, but it is highly regulated and Mm. does not include the painted turtle in Michigan specifically. But I hope you enjoyed my stories. Thanks a bunch for the show. I love listening in every week. It always makes me smile and I get to add a new fun fact to my arsenal. Have a happy new year. Amanda. That's awesome. The turtle story reminds me of two instances, similar instances I've had. One was driving down the road at UNF on the campus and seeing a turtle in the road and being a good Samaritan and an animal person. I was like, I'll just help this turtle cross the road. We do it all the time. No big deal. Mm-hmm. So I get out, walk up to this turtle, notice that it is a snapping turtle. Oh, yeah. turn around and go get back in my car. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I think you've got this. I think you're good here. We, I, you don't need my help. You're all right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's happened to me a number of times too. Not specifically as oh, turtle, well, but... yeah, just seeing a turtle yeah, in the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we always stop for turtles. But also, when I worked at a pet store, I worked at a pet store in Jacksonville, Florida, and a couple of guys come in and they're looking in our fish tank section, and they're like, "What's the biggest fish tank you've got?" Hmm. <laughs> Which is never, <laughs> never a good sign. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, we've got, I don't know what we have, like, I don't know, 120 gallons, something like that. It was a big tank. And they were like, hmm, do you have anything bigger than that? And I was like, why? Uh-huh. <laughs> why are you asking? And they were like, how big of a tank do you think you would need for an alligator? Oh, geez. And I was like, none. None of the above. <laughs> that is illegal. You cannot do that. And they were like, they tried to be like, oh, sure, sorry, sorry, a turtle then. (laughs) I was like, bro. (laughs) A six foot long turtle. (laughs) I was like, like, you showed your hand already, 
my guy. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was like, no, uh, absolutely not. We we do not do that here. And then they tried to like kind of play it off like, oh, yeah, we were kidding. We were kidding. I was like, okay. And then I just walked over to my manager and I was like, hey, those guys told me they're going to try to put a gator in a tank. Please don't sell a tank to these guys. Oh, my God. Because our managers were really cool at that store. And, like, if they knew someone was doing something not right, Mm -hmm. they would refuse service. So I was like, please don't sell them a tank. They're trying to do something illegal. Please don't do it. (laughs) I do remember one time having to stop my car in the night to let an alligator cross the road. I was there for that. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah, It was a big one, too. It was, what, like seven, eight feet long? I was just walking. Big old guy. We had to just sit there and wait. There's nothing you can do about that. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, definitely don't take wild animals into your house. (laughs) Please don't. Don't do it. No. Some states and turtles even have more aggressive laws to stop you from doing that kind of thing. Well, a lot of times it's not the laws you have to worry about. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you pick up the wrong animal, you could lose a finger or hand. But also like picking up random reptiles. They carry salmonella. Mm -hmm. Like you could get a disease. You could give them a disease. Like it's not good. It's all around not good. I was thinking of the uh, gopher tortoises and how they're very protected. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You do not want (laughs) to mess with one of those. You will get in big trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, A very interesting story with humor and also a moral. So I love that. Yes. B writes... If Just the Zoo of Us was a video game, what video game genre slash what kind of game would it be? I thought about this a little bit. Okay. My first instinct was I really like games where you basically reconstruct an environment. Like you're given some like run down, unmaintained like piece of land and Mm -hmm. you have to basically like restore it and zhuzh it up and then you get like i don't know i'm thinking of viva pinata specifically because that was my favorite game when i was younger i was imagining stardew valley (laughs) it could it could be giving stardew valley but i'm thinking more about viva pinata specifically which i know i'm probably the only person on the universe in the universe still thinking about viva pinata but i literally think about it every day but if you had something like that where you could like i don't know rewild a plot of land and then like attract different wildlife to it that would be really cool but then i was thinking more about like the fact that our show our podcast format like assigns values to different like strengths and stuff of each animal Mm -hmm. and i was thinking it might be more like a pokemon each animal having different stats and then you having to like build a team or a roster or something and like balance your sure. team comp. Does that does that make sense? But like instead of battles, it could be throw out animal to climb a tree at night. Yeah. Or- <laughs> maybe instead of like battling against each other, maybe you have to battle different like environmental concerns. Mm. Maybe it's like, oh no, there's, you know, pollution in the water. Now you have to pick like Use your animals that are maybe are really good water. Like use your freshwater mussels to filter pollutants out of the mm, water, right? I like see. if you had like a game where you could like cultivate the strengths of different animals and use them to like overcome different like challenges in the game, mm-hmm, that would be more mm. environmental. That wouldn't be like with Pokemon, how you're like, <laughs> right? <laughs> go, go beat up that other one go, that looks go, just like you. Go punch them. <laughs> <laughs> Some problems can be solved by punching. 
but yeah, that all sounds good. I was definitely thinking a cozy game of some sort. Oh yeah, it would have to be a cozy game. I feel like our our show has very cozy vibes. A mm. lot of people let me know that they fall asleep to our show. Yeah, which I think maybe some people who make podcasts don't want you to fall asleep to their show because they feel like, oh well, my show should be so interesting that you just can't fall asleep to it. But like, I'm good with that. I'm good that like I feel good that I can make someone feel relaxed mm-hmm. and calm and have that sense of like calm that they need to fall asleep. Yeah. I mean, it feels good to me. I mean, we have a fellow podcast on the network who's all about that. Dedicated solely to like, please fall asleep to this show. <laughs> it is very boring. <laughs> that's not my, that's like their marketing. That's not my oh, assessment okay. of the show. That is their, the way they market themselves yes. as our show is boring. Listen to it to fall asleep, which I think is very clever. So I, I was referring to sleeping with celebrities. That's what I was talking oh, okay. about. Yes. I, I just thought we should throw the name out yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> And finally, this was our last one. This was kind of a photo finish. Uh, Listener Nicole Fagiano sent a message on Instagram saying, thank you for introducing me to Hero Rats this year. Do you remember the Hero Rats? The landmine rats? Yes. Okay. The African giant pouched rat, which are used to sniff out landmines and tuberculosis in in like human samples. Very, very useful. Great at doing what they do. And Nicole also sent a screenshot of a certificate of adoption for a hero rat named Carolina, who is sniffing out tuberculosis in Tanzania. So Nicole uh, heard of hero rats through our podcast. And started sponsoring one. How nice. So there's a little hero rat sniffing around. (laughs) Carolina is a rat who sniffs out tuberculosis in like samples from humans. Okay. In Tanzania. So it's helping fight tuberculosis in Tanzania. Very cool. That's so cool. I love that. I really like to hear about like when people are inspired by hearing something that they heard from us and are moved to action, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. That feels good because then I know I didn't do that, but like (laughs) I feel like I had a hand on the ball and I like that. That feels good for me. It's like a little nudge. I know. It's like a little something. So I, I hope that that's really the best I can ask for, right? Is that somebody learns something on the show or is motivated by something that they hear on the show to make the world a little better. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think people that listen to the show are really good about doing that. There's a lot. People do a lot of good. And mm-hmm. I, I just like hearing about it. So yeah, for I really sure. appreciate everybody. So that's all of our field notes for this time. I want to do little mailbag episodes like this maybe more often. Yeah. Um, I know we do Q&A episodes usually when people can send in questions. But, mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, I want to pass the mic to the listeners more often because it's really nice so Mm -hmm, keep an mm -hmm. ear out um we'll we'll be letting y'all know when we're looking for submissions again sometime soon i hope and thank you for everybody who sent something in i I was really delighted to get to read these and share them with you thank you if you liked what you heard today and on our other episodes i would love it if you left us a kind review on the podcast app of your choice like Snuggled in Snow, who left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, specifically about 
the Doomerang episode, oh. <laughs> which was a an April Fool's episode I did with my son, Isaac, who I think at the time was six. He's nine now. Mm-hmm. I think he was six when we recorded that. And Snuggled in Snow says, it brought so much joy to my heart. It reminded me of many conversations I've had with my younger cousins. Way to encourage your kiddos' love of nature and imagination. Happy many years belated birthday, Isaac, because <laughs> that was his birthday. Oh, yes. Um. So, yeah, he has been absolutely begging to be on another episode. So maybe we'll have to figure something out for right. him to join us again soon. But, um, yeah, so if you want to hang out with us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. Links to everything will be in the episode description. We would like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other fantastic shows, which you heard promos for here today. And finally, we'd like to thank Louis Song. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Bye now. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.